Hey guys, if you are a father who would like to have a deeper relationship with your son, if you have a son that you're trying to pour into and develop, if you want to help your son see the greatness that you know he has in his life, I've got a very special event coming up June 23rd through 27. We are going to be in Cleveland National Forest. My father's coming with me, Who my, the man who you hear me talk about all the time, who helped me become who I've become in life. We're going to be doing a father-son rite of passage event, Map and Compass Land Navigation. I'll be teaching you how to use Map and Compass in the exact same place that I learned in Navy SEAL training. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You'll, rem- you'll have these memories for the rest of your life. If you want to find out more, you can click the link in the description below. We've only got 16 spots available and we've already sold a few of those you can find out more at the impossible.life slash legacy navigators this is the question that a lot of people don't think to ask themselves in transition they think what's next that question right and it's too overwhelming to ask yourself that right away it's too overwhelming i don't care who you are how many biblical figures you know were sitting there asking themselves that question when in fact it's it's kind of like you know you should ask yourself, who's doing something that inspires you? That's a different question. That's impossible. Let me tell you what I believe. But your weakness is not your technique. Yes! Yes! Don't think you are. Know you are. The Impossible Life Podcast. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. This is the Impossible Life Podcast. Because Nick and I are attempting to live impossible lives. What we know is that nothing is impossible. So instead of using impossible as an excuse to not try, we'll use the pursuit of impossible as an accelerant for greatness. If something's never been done before, that just means it's unexplored. If they tell you it's too hard, it's just waiting to be simplified. Impossible is a default label used by uncourageous people, unwilling to take a risk. The real truth is this. The solution to any impossible task starts with this question. If I had to, what would it take? take? Welcome to another episode of the Impossible Life Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Surface, and I'm sat across from a man so wise that owls say he is their spirit animal. That's right, friends. (laughs) The former Navy SEAL... Garrett Unklebach, a man who will one day shoot an owl because he doesn't like the way it's looking at him. I think that's one of my new favorites. Yeah, it just sort of came to me in a vision. So, you know, uh, there you go. I'm glad you like it. Now, today is a very special episode, uh, special for a number of reasons. Uh, We've got research assistant Noah now, new new research assistant. But more importantly, we are joined by someone else who is a very good friend of Garrett's and business partner and also went to Bud's. So uh, I'm the only man at the table with a mic that has not been too buzz or even anywhere near. We can fix that. Mm, uh, you've made it very clear I'm too old, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I feel like every day I spend with you is like being in the grinder. So you know, thanks for that. Anyways, so we've got Joe Musselman with us. So Joe, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So Joe Musselman, for those of you who may not be familiar with him, he uh, we're going to get into this, but he attended Buzz Class 288. But what Joe's known for is he is the founder of Broom Ventures, which is a venture capitalist company. Uh, his experience goes for 20 years. He's build, built, advised, and coached extraordinary teams. He focuses on teams, leadership, and culture, which is what you said drew you to the SEALs in the first place. But you also started an organization called the Honor Foundation. Uh, you are a father of two kids. You've been married for nine years. Uh, you 
is there anything I'm leaving out? I know I feel like there's so much more to it because I've, I've that sounds very brief. Oh, I forgot. He's got a number of uh, impressive universities on his history. He's got certificates in design thinking from Stanford, nonprofit from Harvard, and capital markets from Pepperdine. So a few notable uh, places there. So you got an impressive bio. Uh, we can link to that for anybody that wants to read more about it. But what what Garrett says about you is that you are a master of transition, which mm. is not something that I think people immediately yeah, are I'm, clear on. I'm actually a you know recipient of his mastery in that area and. And just to back up to a cool thing about what Joe's done in venture to capital with, with Broom Ventures is the amount of money that he's raised in a short amount of time to really the hardest part of venture capital. And I know this really is just like a, a co-pilot or passenger with Joe in this process is to raise $55 million uh, very, very early in venture to get started. And venture is one of the hardest things to do. And Joe transitioned from one thing into the next doing that in venture. But I'm a recipient of his mastery in that area in the Honor Foundation, um, where you help special operations transition out of the Navy, out of the SEAL teams, and now uh, Green Berets, Raiders, mm. and uh, pilots of, of nearly 20 years in their career transition into what their next looks like, mm. which is so hard to do because so many guys walk out of the teams and they're like, hey, I'm just a breacher, man. Like, I just know how to blow stuff up. I'm right. just a sniper. What value do I have to offer? And it was through Joe's program that he created where I learned things that really some of the greatest skills that I have to offer is not, you know, learning how to use a radio, which I knew how to do, not jumping out of a plane, but knowing how to solve problems under high pressure, yeah. knowing how to make decisions without all the answers, knowing how to lead in high stress environments, knowing how to navigate chaos when people are depending on you to solve impossible problems. And honestly, and you know, what we say about the impossible life, right? And yeah. one of the great things that I learned there and I learned that also in the Honor Foundation is how do you solve an impossible problem? It starts with the mindset of if I had to, what would it take? Yeah. Right. And that same mindset was applied to the transition to make guys shift into their next greatness. How do I take all of the skills? How do I take all of the knowledge that I've learned here and transition into my next? And the Honor Foundation is a program that does all of that. Now, you, you talk so much about your next. So, Joe, I want to I want to get into this. Did I leave anything off your bio that you think should be added? Just um. No, no, not for now. I think that's good. That's fine. I, I, I'll add some clarity around those two bullet points, obviously, throughout the show. But yeah. you can't do anything without an extraordinary team alongside you, without great leadership in one direction or the other, yeah. um, and without trying to build a culture that's much bigger than yourself. Yeah. Now, I, I think one of the things when Garrett was talking about you, and we, we talked briefly beforehand, is, is the question, what's next, was something that you said. And there's this great Steve Jobs quote. He says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in, in your future. future. Yeah. That's the Steve Jobs quote. Now, the reason I bring that up is I think everybody that's listening to this has had something in their life. They, they just knew what was going to happen, right? I'm a, I'm a great high school football player. Yeah. I've got a college scholarship. I'm going to go pro, whatever. Or, oh, this business has to work out. I've got an inside tip on a stock, whatever it is. We've all had that thing that we knew was going to go great for us until it didn't. Now, I touched on it. You were in Bud's class 288, and I think this is just a crazy thing to say, but you, bro you a couple weeks in, you broke your back. And we're, I mean, and I mean, that's probably where I ask you to step in and tell yeah, the story sure. yourself. But I mean, and, and that essentially ended your dream of being a SEAL, but there's so much more to the story than that. But I mean, you talk about yes. what's next. I mean, you, yeah. you know, you want to tell people sure, a little bit about yeah, your history sure, and your sure. family? Yeah, sure. So um, only until recently did I learn this one piece of my family history, uh, which is that my great, 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 great grandfather, Christian Bessler, Musselman, uh, served in the Revolutionary War. He wintered uh, at Valley Forge for two winters wow. uh, in 1775 wow. and 1776. So these are very, um, obviously, 
marked years in our history. Yeah. And then after that, we've, you know, I've had family fight in the Alamo. My name, Musselman, is actually on the Alamo uh, monument. And, um, you know, the Gettysburg Library is the Musselman Library. So, like, I come from the Pennsylvania Musselmans that came here from Bavaria in the early 1600s. Yeah. And the cool thing about finding deep and centered alignment in your life is when when you are doing exactly what you were meant to be doing, there's absolutely nothing that can stop you from accomplishing it. Mm. And there's a feeling that you get on the inside, which is the the feeling that I had creating the Honor Foundation of absolute alignment. And what I wanted to do, what I was driven by, is I had a master chief who, for those of you listening, is, uh, is an E-9 in the United States Navy. It's the senior most enlisted rank uh, you can have in the United States Navy is an E-9 master chief. And I had this master chief tell me something that I'll never forget. He said, Joe, what do you do when you've already had your dream job? That gave me great pause. Yeah. What do you do when you've already had your dream job and external factors are telling you that you can no longer do it? Right. Whether you've been in service too long, the military eventually kicks you out uh, when you've been in for 20 plus, 25 plus, 30 plus years, um, or you have an injury or you have a family that you'd like to see more than the, you know, the dust and dirt of Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, eventually you have to make a decision. And I don't, you know, for me, the, 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 the question and the comment around what's next, um, you know, I'll get into the injury, but frankly, it was that feeling of alignment that I wanted to share. Mm. So that was a big driving factor that all of these folks that are separating from the United States Special Operation Forces here on out, I'll reference that as SOF, S-O-F, Special Operation Forces. Um, and when you have these folks who've been doing their dream job for so long, I want them to find that again. It's right. just one chapter, mm. right? So it, it, I understand the deep identity yeah. that they have with this. I understand that that you know they're trying to they're they become sad and down and inward when they think about trying to replicate something as special as the SEAL teams. Because so many of these guys have that feeling of I'll never do anything as meaningful as this. Correct. They, they doom themselves to that thought That's process right. before they even leave. That's right. Um, and the way that I've always thought about what Garrett said moving into the transition story is I always say that the Honor Foundation uh, currently is the most meaningful thing I've ever done with my life, huh. without question. Mm. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to bring intense meaning to everything I do. Yeah, Those are two very different things to think my, my gift to the world of, of devoting meaning and creating things of meaning is over, and I've already done that. To saying, no, 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 I, now I'm addicted to creating things that are meaningful. Mm, yeah. And I'm a well aware that I can do it because yeah. I've already done it. Yeah. So that's a different, that's a different mindset. Place. Yeah, for sure. A very different place. Yeah. So, so anyways, that was the, that was the kind of the, the story behind, um, you know, I, I can just in general, my family posterity and where I come from yeah. in regards to service. So let me take you. So first of all, I got to ask, how did you break your back? Because I mean, obviously, sure. I, I've, you know, that's, a, yeah, that's sure. not the kind of thing you hear. People break, you know, legs. Elbows, yeah. arms, yeah. whatever. Not you break your back. That's yeah. a, that's major. So I, I also want to be very um, self aware of the you know in the last gosh two to three years, uh, not even the last two years. I've seen um, five people that I have hugged, that I've cried with, that I've helped throughout their transition take their own life. Oh, so I want to be very aware yeah. of like uh, a back injury versus 
all the other injuries that Garrett and I have seen teammates, mm-hmm. friends, right. favorites go through. Uh, and it's nothing compared to what a lot of these folks are dealing with. Yeah. Um, so w- what does it mean? It means that I experienced a significant compression injury of my lower spine. Okay. That's technically what it means, which caused all these ridiculous symptoms and loss of sensation and feeling and nerve damage, and all this other stuff. But again, you know, um, it's nothing in comparison to what the majority of these folks make. The only issue is if you're early in the process of going through buds, it's essentially career ending. It's pipe. It's pipeline ending to become a seal. Yeah, because you get this rating from the from medical that says a certain percentage, um, meaning a percentage of. Uh, probability that it will return and then also perhaps be permanent handicap or something like that. So I had a, I had a very deep conversation um, with a Lieutenant at the time who was kind enough to end my career uh, in the pipeline. I know that sounds strange, but you know, there's a, there was a 2% chance that, you know, I could potentially make it through without this causing significant permanent paralysis. Um, and of course, you want to keep going. And yeah, oh, how, did, how did he say that to you? Yeah, he said, Joe, I'm going to do you the favor and I'm going to drop you from this program. Right. And he said, you know, and he handed me the paperwork and we cried it out and we hugged it out for a so, bit. And that so was it. But put yourself in, in, in Joe's shoes to be in this moment yeah. where, you know, so you, you've, you've heard all of the legacy and the generations yeah. of service in his family. And Joe didn't even talk about like kind of his level of preparation, not just physically, uh, but, Years, but, yeah. Yeah, but mentally, uh, his preparation, what he studied in school and everything was a preparation to go and become a great seal. Right. And then to get to this point a few weeks into, but okay, I'm finally here. The, the moment has come. I'm yeah. here and everyone has that moment of running on the grinder and they feel it. And now I'm in seal training and he's a few weeks in and his back breaks and they tell him we're not, we can't let you continue. Mm-hmm. But, but not, they said you can't continue at all. Like they, you got kicked out. The, they, not, I shouldn't say kicked out. I don't know what the correct term is, but they said it's not just seals. They wouldn't let you carry on in the Navy. Is that correct? Well, they gave me a list of rates, right? That with a, with a rating like this at the time of injury that I could do. Okay. And I'm not going to mention what rates they were, but I, I had no, only because, um, everyone who serves, I have respect for. Yeah. Um, and when I received the rates that they were, there was only a few, um, I had little to no interest in sitting at a desk, yeah. um, you know, for the remaining two and a half to three years that I, that I had on my contract. Yeah. So for me, that was, um, you know, it was okay, let's, let's transition out and went through the medical process. And this is where the intense vulnerability comes in. This is where I became the perfect cocktail and mixture of vulnerability, insecurity to turn around and want to create something of value for the community that I hope to be a part of. Right. Um, I could still add value. Like it's kind of like put me in coach. I can, I can still do something for you all. Um, and that's where I was, you know, the first little, uh, you know, interaction with what was next for me on that last day of buds. I I was telling you guys this offline that that last day at buds, I remember looking up to the skies and saying, you better have a plan. Hmm. Right, straight to God. No one else was around. It was a direct message, and and I, I, and I know everyone listening is is laughing and smiling. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. At that moment, my he was laughing at me and saying, "I'm going to tell you about my plan." Yeah. And when you stop listening to God, he he certainly brings you to your knees to pay attention, and that is exactly what happened in that moment, which put me in a position to to hear for the first time the real challenge that goes on behind the scenes 
for the special operations community and when they have to ask themselves a very dreaded question, uh, which is what's next. Yeah. Yeah. So because Joe, you know, he breaks his back and they, they're going to transition him out of the Navy and he can no longer continue in the SEAL program. What Joe did have was a good reputation within the class and within the instructors so far. And they looked at, you know, they can see how intelligent he is with yeah. what's on his, his resume. And so he gets the opportunity, which they don't do for everybody, but he gets the opportunity to stick around. Right. So, oh, he's right. Worked, and that's so Joe ended up working. You're working in the first phase office, right? That's correct. And well, not only the first phase office, that brings up a whole other <laughs> story. So, you know, I, um, you know, talk about humility and being humbled before God. I had someone walk up to me when I was looking probably quite depressed and ridiculous. Um, something that's interesting that you don't hear much about is the transition from going from one uniform to the next. Yeah. And in training, you we were part of a, a certain cohort before they now have switched to a different uniform. But we, when you're going through buds, you would wear the old school woodlands um, yeah. from the Vietnam era, like okay. this, the things that your audience has seen in different types of like movies. The, the, the green, old, black, and brown. The green, yeah. black, and brown camo. And that's a badge of courage right. alone. You're wearing a uniform. People know you're in training uh, in special operations. And, you know, you have, you've earned nothing yet, but, you know, you're in the pipeline. Right. You're working towards the dream. Um, the next day when you get injured and you get classified uh, as such as not in training any longer, you have to put on a different uniform. Hmm. So yeah. right there, of which I had not put on since boot camp. Right. So you're expected to kind Thankfully, of, the Navy retired those uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it was. Those were ridiculous. But... Um, Regardless, you're expected to switch this identity right overnight. Yeah. Um, just to, just to give some context to that, like they tell you not to, and they tell students not to. A lot of guys will take that uniform that they're issued in boot camp and they'll throw it away because oh, wow. they're saying, "I will never put yeah. this on Correct. again." Because you, you're you're supposed to go from the the uniform you wear in buds to the, a different uniform that NSW wears, and they're right. they're saying, "I will never go back to that uniform." Right. And so like you'll also see like you'll see guys who quit. You'll see them in that uniform and it just it just changed. You know, they're not they're no longer in the program with you. Yeah. It has so much meaning. And so, so it's like in prison. When you go to prison, what's the first thing they do? Right. They strip you of your clothes and they make sure that you all have the same yeah. thing. So, and, yeah. and it does. It affects your identity big time. So extremely humbling for, yeah. for Joe to, to get put back in this uniform that Joe had said at one point, I'll never wear that uniform. <clears throat> yeah. And this is where like you need to really start to pay attention to little things. This <clears throat> this story. Uh, really begins for the Honor Foundation with this uh, older gentleman who came up to me while I was mustering. I was on crutches. I had a back brace. I was looking pathetic and most likely down and out. And, and he walked up to me. I had never spoken to this person before. And if he's listening, I'm, I'm you know, in some, in some way, if, if he was ever to hear this. Um, I hope it, he does. I hope he does too. And he came up to me. He was a, I didn't know this at the time, but he's a, he's a very well-respected um, Oh, uh, six captain uh, from the SEAL teams. And okay. I, had, I had no idea that that's who that was. Yeah. I just saw this kind of, you know, this, this man walk up from, from PTing and he, he kind of picked my chin up and he looked at me dead in my eyes with absolute certainty. Now he could have picked anybody out in that line. Cause we, I was mustering with all of the injured folks. Okay. All right. So like we all looked, uh, we were all a barrel of, of sour apples at this right. point, but he, he kind of, tucked up my chin and he looked at me right in my, my eyes and he said, you're going to make this the best thing that's ever happened to you. Hmm. And he just walked away like this mysterious figure. 
and I had no idea. And of course, you, you're go- I was fresh in the eight stages of grief. So yeah. I, I was like still very fresh and angry. And of course, I thought to myself, who does that person think they are yeah. to give me that type of advice? They don't know what I've been through, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, he knew what I'd been through. He had gone through similar situations himself as a team guy and, and the SEAL teams and so on. But it did, it pushed me over the edge enough that night where like, what just happened, I, I paid attention to it, and it, it led me to find a few letters of recommendation hmm. uh, of folks who had to write me letters of rec to get into the Navy. And it was the chair of the political science department who from my university that I'm still close with to this day and a few other people. And I, you know, I'm, you, know you get emotional talking about this stuff because you put yourself back into that yeah. moment. But I was reading these letters of recommendation, and I thought to myself, who are these people talking about? Mm. I couldn't remember that person. I couldn't bring myself to feel that way at all. You know, uh, everything from, in, you know, Joe is intellectual. He's driven by the right, all the things that they wrote in those letters of recommendation. I did not feel like that man. Mm. Um, but I read them every night for quite some time. And mm. if I, I most certainly was depressed. Um, I don't think I've seen anybody go through that and not. Yes, that's correct. Every, every, I mean, yeah. even some of my other friends who have transitioned out and went transitioned into success, they all went through a dark period. Yeah, for sure. And, and that dark period was brought to light when I read those letters of recommendation again and again, and it mustered enough courage where my time to transition off of the base of Naval Special Warfare was quickly approaching. I was like, I'm not leaving. I want to stay here. So I, I, it gave me enough courage to kind of walk into the CO's office, which is unheard of. I was like an E3 deck seaman, right. medical buds drop. I had no right of walking yeah. into the commanding officers. Like one of the instru- one of the E6 instructors would probably not just stroll into the captain's office. Okay. No. Yeah, like as a SEAL, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, right. That's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Like one, to- of, one of the SEAL instructors who's like, you know, running the program, only the officer would have had the courage or really the right to just walk into the captain's office for oh, right. it's a it's a janitor level you know kicking the door in of elon musk's uh office okay and like i i've got a, a, you know something to say to you <laughs> right. and you know maybe that would work maybe it wouldn't but i was willing to hedge with with myself where you know god kind of cleared the path for me that day where someone just held the door open for me to walk in which is locked and you can't get in without a key card yeah, the secretary doesn't stop you from walking into his office correct the the who is a not just a secretary, but it's a military person. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably not correct, yeah, Martha. And I, just, yeah. I just walked right in and kind of pointed at the 06's desk that I had something for him, and he kind of waved me through, and I put it on the 06's desk, and it was my resume and a very, very, very uh, kind of thoughtful letter on, you know, sir, please let me stay at Naval Special Warfare. Let me carry out my, um, my rehabilitation here. I've only wanted to be here. Don't send me out to the fleet to, to do rehab and and next day I'm I'm lining up and I hear the the AXO so the executive officer the number two yeah walk outside and go who's Musselman and I go oh man that was a bad idea yeah like that was a really bad idea like what was I thinking this is not like civilian world where you can ask for forgiveness and permission yeah. and these things and he's like follow me and I follow him upstairs and now you're on crutches and in a I'm back on brace correct still. I just want to make correct. sure I'm getting this visual. yes that's correct okay and I'm and so I walk in. I walk but, upstairs. And, and catch that, too, that even though he's no longer in training, that he's on crutches and injured, that the the atmosphere of that place is so strong that <laughs> yeah. they call out his name, and, and Joe is still saying, 
oh god what did i do right for sure <laughs> okay oh for sure yeah it was not nothing like oh they'll have me like, yeah it wasn't no, no 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 this was just like oh man i really messed up i'm glad you point that garrett always says the last thing you want is attention from instructors that's correct so, yeah. let alone the executive officer of, right. the, of the training command okay right uh so i walk upstairs and, and he sits me down he goes hey look we found a place for you you know your letter moved the coxo and wow myself and, and included i'm going to walk you down to your to your job and you're going to be manning something called the command store now, as when I say humility, I mean like literally the next day I was serving first phase, second phase, third phase instructors, Gatorades, and power bars. They okay. call it the shack. Right. They call right. it the, the snack shack, like right. quite literally. So again, I, I you know, uh, where 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 reputation matters all, um, I and and being humble, being humbled hourly, inside of that place, I still had to make it my own, and that that's where I heard the first problem. Where I start to pick up on this theme, where when operators can I, can I pause sure, real yeah, quick yeah, before yeah, you sure. go down that road because yeah, I, yeah, I know sure. where you're going to go. Yeah, catch the level of humility that it. So one, like, has the ability to present himself, like courage yeah. to go before the CEO, but the humility to take that position. He's working. He's sell, he's just selling Gatorade and snacks to the instructors. All these guys who he wanted to be a student yeah. in their program, and I'll just sell snacks. Where Joe. Um, this, to be honest, is smarter than 95% of the people there on the grinder, right? Other than some of the offers, and he wouldn't say that, but other than some of the officers and the CO and the XO, you know, a lot of these guys, are, they're like a lot of us as SEALs. Like we're just, we're hard workers and they're grunts. Joe's very intelligent. To take this position, and not only that, he sees all of his friends every single day yeah. continuing on in training mm. and they see him in the uniform yeah. they thought he never would wear and he did that so he could just stay here in this place what what made you want to stay man you know it's i don't know the answer to that question i can only tell you the feelings and drivers that i had in the moment which was it's all i knew right and it's all i hoped for so right. if I, it's kind of like if you want to be a pro athlete and 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 you you go try out you don't make it um you might as well be support staff on the team. And so that, that's the way I still felt. You, you didn't know why to stay, but you knew you weren't supposed to leave. Yet. That's correct. Were you, were you afraid of maybe the unknown outside of that? Or was it just a, or did you just feel like there was oh, something I mean, in you that I, knew you needed to I, be there? Afraid of the unknown, fearful of the unknown. Um, He'd already had the worst thing happen at that point. Right. And also there's, there's also this part of me that, that knew a bit about what I was going to interface with if I did go out to the kind of the bigger, larger Navy. Okay. Um, and I, I, you know, the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't. Right. And I, I you know, I, I didn't want to leave. He, Joe's being extra respectful, but you don't want to be a lower enlisted guy in the fleet. It's, it's not a great place to be. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a, it's certainly a difficult spot to be in. Okay. With someone with, you know, um, Anyways, so it wasn't unknown. You, you were you, okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm no, that's fine. I'm here's the here's, he, here's the a day that will forever stay in my mind. Um, and it's funny. Even as I talk about this, I feel the feelings. So I feel huh. right now. I feel sad. I feel down. I feel in. Uh, I, I feel less confident. Like there's there's all of these feelings that come back when you become nostalgic in that yeah. way. And one day that I'll never forget was the day that I had to work the graduation of my buds class man yeah so that is different level humility man you haven't told me about that i haven't told you about this no no yeah it was very intense for me i remember going home to my girlfriend at the time and just cried yeah. it was the hardest thing. now wonderful wife now my wonderful wife yeah with with, with two children um but i'll 
you know, that moment that day of having like my close friends introduce their parents to me when I'm behind a register to sell them goods at their graduation. It what I, I don't know if it was lost on them because we had stayed so close right. throughout that experience, meaning that everybody would come over to my place. We would go out on the weekends together. Right. So this, my identity socially yes. and with my close friends, it remained very strong right. all the way through that experience. This is also a testament to the strength of Joe's character because most guys who, I mean, Joe didn't quit, but even guys who do what happened to him or go through what happened to him where it breaks them, they, they detach from every single person that they know right. and they just don't even want to see these people anymore. You call them, they won't answer. They just don't even want to be around you anymore. Yeah, they meant too much. They, they, this group of guys meant way too much to me. And, and so when I think about, um, so now getting into the kind of the transition into the Honor Foundation uh, and to where it came from, I can tell you that what I prayed for going into the Navy I received so I, I didn't pray about going to battle. I didn't pray for, um, you know, to, to run swiftly and, and shoot swiftly. And um, those aren't the things that I prayed for, to, to, to learn demolition to a certain degree and, and to practice the tradecraft part of it of like, I really, you know, I'm praying to be the best jumper and shooter in the teams. I wasn't praying for those types of things. My prayers were much more about others, meaning I want to serve alongside the hardest charging community in the world. I, if I'm going to serve, I want to serve with people who respect their lives and the lives of others around them to the point they want to be masters of their craft. Mm. Like that's what I was praying for. While we're talking about prayer, Joe, will you talk about, talk about your faith before the Navy? Talk about what prayer was like for you before the Navy. Um, So Prayer going into the Navy was um, all in my mind. It was lacking a community, but it was all in my mind. Um, I read the book um, inconsistently, uh, yet it was always around me, but I was reading the book inconsistently. Um, And it was at the point where I was just got through a college experience. I went to DePaul University, which is the largest Catholic institution in the country, um, and so therefore every year I, I took courses in, in theology and the history of, and all of these different things. Uh, and, and I spent a lot of time because I knew what my next step was. I, you know, I was reading every book of every faith across the world, mm. uh, and specifically taking multiple courses on Islam and other things to learn and other ideas related to Islam, uh, to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, that was also in his preparation for becoming a seal and knowing he's going to deploy in these regions. Correct. Is right, okay. the primary religion. Right. Yeah, correct. So culturally there's significant differences. Um, and, and so, you know, by happenstake, my first roommate, even in college, this is the summer, the, the summer after nine 11, um, I get my roommate assignment and it was Muhammad Fayez Ahmed. Okay. Now, I didn't know anyone uh, <laughs> in the faith before that. So yeah. I, of course I look up to God and say, Oh, this is, I mean, what an opportunity for me to, to live alongside someone in the faith and learn about their background and their culture and all of this. So anyways, flash forward to that moment. Um, you know, at my, at my grad, at quote unquote, my classes graduation, um, that was the most humbling thing that could have ever have happened to me. And yet I was still very excited for all of them. Mm. It was the most bittersweet moment by definition of my life. Uh, And I was so proud of them. Yeah. I was just so proud of them. And, and the, and, and here's the one thing they do say at buds. They say, don't make friends at buds because your friends go away. 
They say that a lot. Like, don't make, sure. don't make friends at boot camp. I didn't have very many, and I lost basically yeah. all of them. Yeah. Here's, here's the plague uh, that I had to deal with. All my friends made it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Every single one of them. It is, yeah, it is rare. For like most people, like no, it's very true. Like I mean, because and I got rolled into multiple classes, yeah, right. and so yeah, I mean, almost all the friend group. There'd be like a couple pairs of guys or a couple trios that stick together, but almost everyone's friend group got shattered. Right, right? and my like almost no one from my original friend group made it. Yeah, right? I mean, so. from day one at boot camp, there was this group of kind of older, you know, folks. You know, Mark. Yep. You know, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, co like all of and these. what's interesting too is all these guys that were Joe's friends I didn't know it at the time but all these guys that were re- Joe's really close friends as I got injured and or I failed pool comp and then got injured I rolled into the class with all of Joe's friends okay right, so right. years down the road and we'll get there but years down the road when I come to know Joe I realize oh you know all of these guys that I went through training with right right, right. yeah um, you know Paul I mean you can go through the yeah. list like all of these folks that that you know, I became very close with, and still I'm very close with this day. We met day one, week one of boot camp. Yeah, and we stayed that close. And even we've had we had classes above us and and before us who who knew that we had this kind of close friendship that would pull us apart in, in bars and be like, hey, how do you how long have you guys known each other? And we're like, oh, you know, a year, you know, a year and a half because we just came off so much closer, right? Than that. So I I, I really do believe in in you know kind of the divine tap around those around you, and every single one of them helped me in some way come up with the concept of the honor foundation because thf was actually put together by the community i i was just a a vehicle to make it happen and i I do believe deeply now working with entrepreneurs um hundreds of entrepreneurs all over the country listening to their pitches and their ideas and and now having about 35 to 40 of them in my fund one portfolio uh in our fund one portfolio um great ideas find people I don't believe that people find great ideas. Hmm. And so that, I, that idea fell upon me because it was the right person at the right time to get it done. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of what Pastor Key says, yes. whatever you're ready for is ready for you. Yeah. Now, now let me, a couple points to clarify because uh, I know this just from being friends with Garrett, but I, a lot of listeners won't. THF, the Honor Foundation, what does the Honor Foundation do? Sure. So the vision and the mission of THF is crystal clear. It's, my, it's still some of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, we had a crystal clear vision, which was we imagined a world where the special, oper- uh, special operations community experienced a seamless transition into the next great adventure of their life. Mm. All right, so that vision, imagine a world where that's the case. Now, the whole point of designing a vision is it's supposed to be unrealistic. It's supposed to be idealistic. And you're describing an end state uh, that is nearly unachievable. Mm. Like no special operations community member, operator, will ever experience a seamless transition, right? So I want to be clear about that. The point is it doesn't mean that our organization is not going to strive towards that world every single day, right? right? So that's that's the vision. The mission is to serve others with honor for life. Hmm. So their next mission is clear and continues to impact the world. Something that uh, will connect the dots here for Nick on this and our audience is familiar is the 100% success guarantee. Yes. Right. I talk, I've talked on the, on the show and I've talked with Nick about how the SEALs guarantee success. That doesn't mean they'll never fail or make mistakes. They say that we will get to this place. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that and that's how the seals operate towards the vision, and that's what the Honor Foundation says. Yes. R- real quick before you go on, mm-hmm. man, I love what you just said about vision and mission. It's something Garrett and I talk a lot about this offline in our own time, and I can see why you you know how you guys are. He told <laughs> well, I have, about I have very forces. very yes. very specific ways to talk about vision, yes. mission, and values. I, yes. I hope for everybody listening that you, if you didn't listen, rewind about a minute or whatever it was. <laughs> if you're struggling with vision for your life, and listen to how Joe just described vision. Because I know I'm going to 100% make a few notes on and, what you just said. And don't well, zone out from here because it only gets better. Yeah, so vision, vision. Um, again, it was the Honor Foundation that inspired me around these five driving forces that, you know, it's been a blueprint, an architect um, throughout the ages. It's timeless. It's industry agnostic. Any great founder has used the exact same forces to impact billions of lives. Mm. And, and so when I talk about the VMV, or the vision, mission, values of an organization. Vision, the way that I've learned to describe it, is the world we imagine and hope to achieve alongside others. Mm-hmm. Others, because um, name anything that was accomplished alone that was yeah. great, and name anything that was accomplished uh, that has impacted time, posterity, legacy, uh, the past and the future that we still talk about that didn't impact others. Mm. Not just, not, it can never be about you if you plan to be great or do anything great. It can't be. Yeah. Literally by the yeah. books, it can't be. And so I, I have all types of, you know, arguments and I get in prickly, you know, conversations about like, what about the assholes of the world that, you know, have accomplished great things yeah. and, and, you know, but I can get into that uh, later on. Um, but regardless, mission, I have a very, you know, specific definition. It needs to be structured a certain way. There needs to be a, a contributing factor to a mission that has an impact. So a contribution and an impact part of a statement. There's all different types of ways and people who have inspired me along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only know this to your, to the point of that Steve Jobs quote. I only know this looking backwards. Yeah. Once it was revealed to me, though, I can't see. It's kind of like a C.S. Lewis quote. Yes. Like I, I can't see anything else. I, it's that is the way. It's it's all I can actually yes. see now. Is that is through that lens. I love that. So, anyways, the the Honor Foundation has a crystal clear vision, mission, and a set of values. And as soon as I figured out the vision, mission, values of that institution, everything went up into the right. Hiring went up into the right. Fundraising raising went up into the right. When I answered the question, "What's next?" Yeah. When people, you ever notice this? That when people talk about. Um, whenever you hear people say, oh, it's my North Star. Yes. I, I, I would challenge everyone listening to this to this production to stop them and say, what do you mean by that? What is your North Star? What is it? Yeah. Tell it to me. Describe it to me. And most likely you'll get one of two different responses. You'll have them say something. They'll, they'll say something like, oh, well, what I just talked about. I know, but I don't, I don't understand what that is. Like, tell me, what do you mean by North Star? And then the second answer that you'll always get is they'll give you a, a kind of jumbled um, amalgamation of vision, mission, values into a sentence of some kind, right? Which is closer to the right answer than most people think. But to be able to systematically walk through one's vision, mission, values, yes. principles, ethos, meaning your character summed up, or I describe ethos as the unspoken spirit manifested. Those five forces are the north star. To, to say it simpler, the north star is not an outcome, and right. right. Wrongly, a yes. lot of people will describe an outcome. You can't ever get to the North Star. Mm-hmm. It, we we were forever traveling towards. That. Right. That's correct. Yes. This will always guide us. It yeah. will never change its position. Yeah. And we're going to use it to get to where we're supposed to go. That's correct. And Joe, I wish you could just stay here in Texas for a few weeks. I feel like we could. We got like seventeen <laughs> podcasts ahead of us. We I, could go into I this. I want to step back though, yes, because we need to build the bridge. Yeah, from sure. from you at Buds to the Honor Foundation. Yes. Yeah, I, I have. I, mean, I have so many. Yeah, I want, I'm glad you brought that back, G. I, I so I'm picturing you. You're in this. First of all, I love that you read the letters of recommendation every night. Mm. I think that that's a... Have you ever questioned why you did that? I mean, at the time, I, I didn't know. It just felt right. 
right? Uh, because I felt so unlike myself. See, and yeah. remember the posterity yes. part too, meaning there were men in my family and yeah. women in my family who have served our country in different ways. Men in uniform, women as nurses, women as social workers and teachers. I come from a very service-oriented family. Um, and that I couldn't do what I had set out to do. I know that no one thinks of this as that point in my life as a failure. But for me at the time, it was a failure. Oh, I yeah. set out to do this yeah. and I'm not doing that thing. So to me, that is a failure. Now, I, I, I call it a failure because I've since learned how important it is to celebrate these failures in your life. Mm. It's the ultimate course correction for learning and growth. So for me, like to have that happen, it's such an impactful moment in my life. I, you know, I did push away family. I did push away friends. I was only laser focused on retaining the relationships that I had at the time. Right. And, and so to, to, to then have the kind of the, you know, the resources of reading things that people who knew me beforehand, yes. I was like, well, this was me because they're not lying and these are honest people. Yeah. And so I had to kind of change my self-talk and you have to do that intentionally and yes. systematically. Yes. Um, cause it was bad. It was bad self-talk mm. and it's amazing. We all know this, the impact our words have on our bodies, the words impact our words have on our minds. Um, and so I had to change that. And if I couldn't do it myself, I had to read about what other people had to say about me before that happened. And regardless, um, you know, uh, I just knew it wasn't made up because it came from truthful places. Cause when I would try to, you know, pick myself back up again, yeah. like I felt like I was fooling myself. You're like, you're not really like that. Like go back, lay down, chill out. Like you failed. You're mm -hmm. just gonna have to deal with it. And, but reading these types of letters and recommendations were truly life-saving. And then to have that 06 captain say that to me, yes. really turned things around. So if you're, if you're in that position right now where you're assembling the pieces in the aftermath of a failure, if you're mm -hmm. questioning yourself, like Joe did, Joe said, you know, he didn't feel like he was himself. He felt like he was off didn't uh, recognize who he was looking at in the mirror. When you go through something like that, don't do what people wrongly do is that they go through that and they say, well, I guess this is me, right? I'm a failure. I guess this is the type of person that yeah. I am. What you do is when you're struggling with who you are, you go back to the people who know that you are. Yes. Right? That's and that's right. what Joe did. Joe went back yeah. to some of these letters. He had these written yeah. copies of people. who This is who you are, right? Go back to the people in your life. When you don't know, go back to the people who yeah. do. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's what I want people to catch as well. Practical way of doing this, from, I'll just share something that I do. Anytime I get a really nice text from somebody, I screenshot it and I save it my favorites. And I also have a list of wins throughout my life of mm -hmm. things that are probably some people wouldn't care. They're, they mean something to me. And I go back and I revisit them because similar how you said your emotions were being stirred up to your memories that you of the days, of some of these days and you were yes. feeling down you can generate that whole thing again and your mind doesn't yes, know the difference. Yes, and and I can. think that's a really powerful exercise. So thank you for, I just want to make sure there's so many great nuggets in your life story, Joe. So what, okay, so how do you go from, yeah, the I just served, yeah, I just served sure. Gatorade and snacks to all my friends and I felt sad but also happy for them yeah. to, I see a need. Like what, where, like what, how did that come about? Yeah, so again, um, breadcrumbs were laid in front of me until they couldn't be ignored. Right. Uh, that's what happens with complex problems. Mm. And I know that with lots of folks that are listening, you may have that personality where when you've proven to yourself, I mean, I mean, for, you know, the, the title of this show is, yeah. is, is proof in itself. The, the, you hear this complex problem, you're in a position in life to do something about it. The next thing is the most important step, which is, are you going to do anything about it? Mm. Love that. So you, you see these things laid out in front of you. You're like, wait a minute, there's not a transition, a career transition institute for the 
top 0.01% warfighter on the planet. Mm. Like every university has a junior year career department. Yeah. Like every top institution from college to, you know, universities, et cetera, they all, they all have people looking out for their brand. Yeah. So how is the SEAL community not doing this? Prior to the Honor Foundation existing, this is like, it's sad to believe that this is true. But special operations would go through the same transition program that everyone in the Navy, everyone in the military goes through, which, and Joe can probably summarize it better than me, but I also went through it because it's required. And it's like a couple things about like how to make sure you have enough savings in your account so you don't starve and like how to write a resume and look for a job, but their resume courses, um, it's not excellent. Right. It's like, well, it's certainly not up to standard. That's all. Like I I went through about two or three dozen transition programs. just as research, right? What I call listening tour. Okay. And now I call it a listening tour at the time. I I just was trying to listen to understand. Um, And, you know, I, I traveled the country for seven months or six months, seven States in six months. I interviewed about 215 SEALs and operators uh, to, to have, who have transitioned to learn about what they had when they were transitioning out uh, at the time, my girlfriend thought I was insane. I was burning through savings. I was trying to figure out the answer to this complex problem. It, no different than trying to, you know, kind of just land in the middle of nowhere, expand, and try to understand. The first rule of design thinking, why I took that course in the first place back in the day, is the first rule of design thinking is empathize with the community you mean to serve. Mm. So I meant to serve the special operations community. Therefore, I had to go and listen intensely uh, with direction and intention to the SEAL community and the operator community in general to try to figure it out. Yeah. So I sat in Starbucks and I sat in, you know, Panera's and, and living rooms and dining rooms and bars and restaurants, wherever I could meet with folks to try to understand, uh, truly empathize, jump in their shoes and skin uh, to figure out what needed to be created on their behalf. So the, 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 the program was actually created by the community. I was just the vehicle that Mm. pulled the resources together to make it happen again, because I was the perfect mixture and cocktail of insecurity. And, um, you know, I wanted to prove myself, uh, to the community that I could still provide value. The next six months to, to Garrett's point was I needed to figure out, uh, what's going on in the private sector on how they're hiring these folks. Mm-hmm. And I asked a simple question to 151 Fortune 500 CEOs over a six-month period. Um, do you hire MBAs the same way you hire undergrads? And the answer was universally no. Mm-hmm. Of course not. Yeah. Right? You hire MBAs differently. We have teams of people that go and mm-hmm. hire MBAs, and then we have university campus folks that go out to university campuses for undergrads. And I said, well, do you hire someone from the special operations community differently than you hire someone from the general force? Mm. Big, long pause. And no, we hire all of them the same. And not only do we hire all of them the same, but they're all grouped in in DNI initiatives, meaning diversity and inclusion yeah. initiatives. Uh, and every organization has, you know, a different ER, a different ERG or or someone that's focused on a different community. But for me, for crying out loud, even the most humble community, um, quote unquote, humble community out of the military, special operations, even they allowed themselves to call this part of the military special, right? They're special. They've gone through different training. They've gone through specialized training. They've gone through a special pipeline that's designed Mm -hmm. just for them. Their skill sets are special and different. So why would you think you can hire them the same way uh, than you would every other veteran? Now, mind you, there's a whole nother conversation that I can have on on veteran transition and, and 
folks thinking they're special versus going out there and hustling hard. Um, it, 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 that's another podcast. I want to give a quick plug real quick <laughs> sure. on, on what you did, which is a very practical thing that you also taught us. As Joe's going through this transition, what he did was he called, uh, this is Joe's term, he called it a listening tour. Yeah. He went around that. and he started listening to the special operations. Yeah. Right. And he went out and started suspicious, uh, listening to the outside community. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Joe taught us, and we probably won't have time to get there, so I just want to plug it. This is an easy tip for anyone who's going through a transition. One of the things they would help us do in the Honor Foundation is go on our own listening tour. And they, they would get it, they pl- Joe would plug us into this ink article on 50 cups of coffee, right? You're going through a transition. Here's something that you need to do. Go listen to people. Go have fifty. We had to we had to do it. Go have fifty cups of coffee. Like invite fifty people out to coffee and ask some questions and then listen to them. And that's what Joe did in building this powerful foundation of how to trans how to transition, which he did and, and help other people transition. Was he started asking questions and then he attentively listened. Let me ask you a question because I, I I my mind thinks this way. So just. This, this, I don't want this to be a, a, a sharp diversion. Yeah. How did you get 151 Fortune 500 CEOs yeah, yeah. to actually talk to you? Because that, well, that's incredible. It, it, so I, I really developed a sharp stalking skill set. I, I don't know how else to say it. Truly, <laughs> okay. I don't. Yeah. But honestly, I, I again, as I was listening to the community, I knew that the other side of the bridge had to be the employer. Right. Because that's truly what THF is. The yeah. It's a bridge from right. one great adventure into the next great adventure of your life. So the bridge just needed to be constructed, and really it was about education, yeah. meaning we had to educate the operator community on the employment community. Right. And then we had to educate the employer community on the operator community and then create the place where they the create the place and space where they could meet in the middle knowing about each other. Mm. That hadn't been done. But there's also a six week part of this process that I learned from listening to the community. There's what they told me they needed, and then there's what I interpreted and knew that they actually needed. Right. Right. Which was we essentially you know, lock up the operator for six full weeks and we have them do a deep dive into who they are. They have to understand themselves in a, in a very deep way to understand their personal vision, to understand their personal mission, their personal why, to understand what's, what values they have, how do they like to lead, and most importantly, what is that kind of unspoken spirit. When right? you become a part of an organization like that, and this has like been some of my encouragement to peers as they were leaving, the THF helped me so much in like unpacking a lot of those things. But there were also parts of me like to go through this incredible transformation of going through SEAL training because SEALs show up to be trained and that's true. But then they still do transform you into something mm-hmm. new. There were parts of me that like I'd put in a box and I hadn't unpacked for years. Yeah. Right. So it took me years after leaving the Navy. Like, man, I used to be this way. Yeah. I said like, but they, they were things that just were not useful yeah. there in that program. And so I just took mm-hmm. these parts of me that I don't need this right now. And I put it away. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you had to learn to bring some of those things back out of yourself. And some of these, and I was only in there for six years. A lot of the guys in my class had been there for 20 plus years. Right. And these guys were like, I just don't know who that person is anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I I don't want to skip over the, 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 some of the boring stuff of the startup story stuff is actually the most exciting, but you know, you flash forward five to six years as CEO of the organization. I left, there were four campuses. Now there's eight campuses. I left at group 20 and now we're at group 60 I was um, I was group six. I was one of the first. Yeah, it was in was in so, group so six. You get, so say, similar like how they say buzz class, you guys give them group group. We numbers. give them group numbers as well. And, and so how are these guys? So how do you? I don't know how it works. Sure, right? it's, a, it's, it's a, a it's a twelve. Think of this: it's a twelve to fifteen week program or so. That's that's an executive education okay uh, style course right. Um, 
with very specific phases, phase one, phase two, phase three of education. Um, and they go through an executive MBA in transition with the first phase is all about you. Right. The first phase is called you. Right. Okay. So we have to put them through part of the program where they just do a deep dive. We give them a battery of assessments, the first phase to learn about themselves in a different way, applying words. And there's certainly some protests in this part of For the For sure. And, and rightly so. Um, I mean, I can ask everyone in this room right now, when was the last time, you know, you took... Uh, you took six to eight weeks to just sit down and learn about yourself. The answer would unanimously be no. Yeah, never. Never, Yeah, right? So we have to literally force them to sit down in a classroom. It's, some of the guys are like, this is stupid. Yeah. This is a waste of time. Yeah. And, then, and then after six weeks, they, they, they're like, oh. So, some so, of the guys who protest the hardest get the most out of it. Oh, yeah. No question imagine. about it. So, so you're, and when you say professional assessment test, so like I'm thinking like your Gallup Strengths Finder, Kendall Life Languages, it's, stuff it's like, like that. that like on, similar on, to that? It's like that on... on on steroids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after they get through the first phase, which is you, um, and we pair them with an executive coach, everyone is paired with an executive coach as soon as they come in the program based on how they fill out the application. And we have three types of coaches. We have executive coaches, we have executives who coach, and then we have life coaches. Uh, those are three very distinct style coaches uh, that fill different gaps and needs for the operators as they come through. And the first phase is called you, and they focus on a battery of assessments that are all uh, producing results on how to kind of speak on themselves, their personalities. Mm. Like most folks, it's, it's, pardon me, pardon me, it's much more than just a Gallup Strengths Finder, although that is one that we really, really focus on. It's um, a small piece that by itself is a, is a great tool, but then you put it together and it becomes something else entirely. It becomes a total but superpower. Before, before we move on with the Honor Foundation, I want to, I just want to backpedal really quick because Joe can talk about this stuff for like 20 hours straight, but there's a cool part of the story that I want Joe to cover who was really like, because again, so much, like I'm yeah. like a cobblestone on Joe's bridge because so much of his story, like I, I experienced mm -hmm. or I was like on the other underside of the bridge as a part of all these things. One of the first guys that Joe worked with uh, was someone who was also in, in my life uh, around the SEAL program. It was a guy that Joe and I both had insane level of respect for, one of the most badass dudes uh, who was on the West Coast at that time. And Joe had a uh, interesting experience with him. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the it was kind of the opening experience to understand the need. So everyone has like a case one, a, a, you know, yeah. a ground zero, patient zero, patient yeah. zero. Yeah. yeah, I hate to make that reference that, that there's only only reason why none of these folks are broken. They just need a compass. It, it, you don't need to inspire the already inspired, but they do need a compass. Uh, and if you've been doing something for twenty six years of your life. Um, how do you go about not doing that? If it takes two and a half years to become a SEAL, how long after 26 years does it take to not become a SEAL? Yeah. So this is a very complex, layered situation here dealing with this community. And this, this Master Chief, again, E9, top of the food chain, um, was highly respected, revered amongst not just the students, but and, also uh, revered amongst the Some of the, the students teams. feared. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real fear. Uh, and, and so, like, I started to work very casually with this person. We built a, a really strong relationship where we talked about things outside of the teams. And, and that's always been my number one piece of uh, feedback to younger operators when they say, look, I have no intention of getting out. Um, how do you, but still, how do I prepare just for what is an eventuality of my life? I tell them two things. Learn and stay up to date with things that are not related to the teams and have friends that are outside of the teams. Right. That is the best way to to just stay, um, just to stay kind of relevant in what's happening outside of this very deep, 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 deep sub rooted culture of the SEAL teams. 
Um, but anyways, this this master chief and I developed this relationship, and it was quite special. And it came di- it came di- it came time for him to transition. I went to his retirement ceremony. I, you know, you watch him. You know, the the it's called the grinder. It's a hallowed ground at the at the SEAL community. And uh, the next thing you know, he's getting praised by two stars, three star generals, admirals, all these different folks. You know, historic operators, and it's a uh, it's an incredible experience to watch someone retire. Uh, from this community they, mm-hmm. they literally have a ceremony where they walk down a red carpet and they are kind of you know the the classic navy sailor whistle they, they of the change in command of them like leaving and then one of the other things that's really special about these ceremonies too is because like you get so used to being on base and it's only military people and civilians are invited to these things and it really just kind of like upscales the the level of uh, sp- like how special this is because you get used to being behind the veil, right? But then from pe- when people from outside the veil come mm-hmm. in, it kind of just ab- like it, it reminds you of the level of mystique of, of what we do there. Right. And people from outside don't really come in here very often. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and so one thing that I can tell you about that particular experience is um, I watched him transition on that day officially on paper, his retirement ceremony and it was moving, and he was beaming with pride, um, you know, looking sharp in his navy whites with this big old gold trident on. Um, people were taking pictures with him, and then the next day he comes into our office where I was kind of working, and he goes, Joe, you know, 26 years in the teams, I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. And that was one of the most moving moments in my life where this pillar of confidence mm. and um, someone who's protected all of us, whether you appreciate what the SEAL teams do or not, doesn't matter. Uh, they're going to do it anyways. Um, so they've been in service to us for 26 years. And then you have this man in tears, you know, we're hugging it out, you know, saying, look, let's do this together. You know, I, like, let's gather everything that you've done in the teams and let's build a resume. Mm. And that was the first person that I was able to sit down with and be kind of intimate with about the details of their career, where they did, what they had did, what they should list, what they shouldn't list, uh, until that person was hired several months later. Now, that was kind of the first resume. I did 90 more over the next 100 days uh, to try to figure out more. I became the resume guy around the community. They'd walk in, hey, you the resume guy? Yeah, I'm the resume guy. Uh, because I wanted to eat up the experience to better understand and translate their experience on their behalf. Um, I want to pause real quick, Joe, because I've heard this story so many times, but I want to interrupt you. Uh, because I've I've never had really had the opportunity to ask you this question. <laughs> Great, sure. Is because you know if, if we if we step back to where you were earlier, um, lying there waiting for uh, you and I both know the person uh, who came and scooped you up off of the sand, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you're saying to God, "What's next?" Mm-hmm. Right? And let's come back to where you are. Sure. Uh, with this respected master chief, mm-hmm. where are you at in this in your your relationship with God and your relationship with that question? Mm-hmm. Are you starting to feel um, that are you starting to feel the purpose and are you starting to feel the shift of what you could potentially do? Well, I didn't know it at the time, but purpose has a certain type of smell energy to yeah. it. Like you, you, it's, it's hard to define. It's like you, you lose track of time. You, you realize that you're overwhelmed with, I can, I can support, I can help in this moment. Um, and it's where, like, the you know, it's it's funny that we're having this conversation. It's, you know, on Martin Luther King Day, and 
you know, I think about all the different lessons uh, that I learned from that man growing up. My mother was a third grade teacher and she could, she didn't tell me, she told me, I can't, I don't want to tell you what he did, meaning Martin Luther King, I want to show you. And she brought me to the public library and sat me there for hours to watch video of what that man did. Uh, and that was my first exposure to MLK. And so to have this, it's like you don't have to help um, many people. Uh, you just have to help the person in front of you. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's coming not just from Christ. That's not, that's not just coming from the Bible. Mother Teresa made that also very, very, very famous. And, and MLK said the exact same thing. Well, in that moment, I wasn't thinking about supporting the entire Right now, the Honor Foundation is responsible for transitioning around 70 to 80% of the SEAL community every single year into their next great adventure in life. And at that time, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about the person right in front of me and what I could do for that person to help them move into the next great adventure of their life. Now, that feeling became quite addictive. And then I wanted to do it again and again and again and again. And now I'm building muscle memory and sinew and, 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 and this you know, a sense of urgency around the problem that I could actually do something about it, which then led me upon my transition to go into that broader listening tour mm. into the hundreds of operators uh, throughout the country, into the employers. What's driving the skill set uh, that needed to be developed was that sense of purpose. And as soon as I found it completely on accident, at that moment, I had just started to speak to God again. I had just started to sit in the back of the chapel. I started to go to service, sit in the back again. And of course, there are those moments where you, when you, I mean, I get emotional even talking about it. When you revisit God after you had been away for a minute, you don't get rejected. Yeah, You get overwhelmed with acceptance and love, right. which is why you break down the way that I would in the back and just cry in my hands. And, and, and it's almost like you have this overwhelming feeling of you were with me the entire time. You knew this was going to happen. Um, and so it's quite powerful. So I was at that point where I'm, you know, I was the, you know, the one crying in the back of churches uh, trying to get my life in order that then I went to that retirement ceremony of that master chief who then approached me that Monday uh, retirement ceremonies are always on Friday. And that Monday he walked into my office only, you know, a couple of weeks before I was set to transition out of the Navy. Um, a couple months, I should say about two to three months before I would transition out of the Navy where I was reignited with that sense of purpose to continue working on resumes, to then do that listening tour, to then, you know, file for the paperwork in June of 2014 for the honor foundation. So it was, you know, it's like a spark um, that lives inside of all of us. Uh, but first, you have to humble yourself and show up. That's why show up has become a value of mine. I have five core values, and that's one of them. Nothing happens unless you show up. Mm. Nothing. So I had to show up um, every day to work and be humbled by the position that I had in the good old snack shack. Um, and then I had to be humbled to see my teammates transition that day from being in training to being team guys. I had to be there for that. I had to show up to uh, church and apologize for drifting and for not, you know, not, you know, commanding that he, God have the plan and that, you know, that I obviously you have the plan and I'm the one who's not listening enough. And, <laughs> you know, all of it. Uh, and the moment that I was filled with like just in the right place, right time, that Master Chief came into my office and it changed my life. And not only did it change my life, 
you know, flash forward throughout the Honor Foundation, it's changed over 2,000 families' lives. Mm-hmm. We have eight campuses across the country. We have a, you know, we have a, a salary, a competitive salary with some of the top MBA programs now for operators that want to go that traditional route to employment. It's changed the fabric around the question where before what's next was a cliff. Now what's next is a trampoline. Those are two very different things that. where you step off a cliff and there's nothing. And now you step off a cliff and you're, you find yourself among your teammates, which is, I'll end with saying that the Honor Foundation is the most special place in the world and there's no place like it. That's and right. I mean that because, and I'm not saying that as, you know, being the founder, I'm saying that because it's a fact. Here's why. There's no other place in the world where you can get 40 operators from all across the special operations community. And now we have two to 300 going through different campuses all at the same time. And that's what makes it special. They're transitioning among their teammates all at the same time inside of the same physical space. Nowhere in the world is that happening right now. So, so for, for me, when I think about an impact, now I can't lie to myself anymore. Meaning now I can't, when I see a complex problem that I think I can do something about, you can't ignore it because you know you can do something about it. You have to go on a listening tour to see if it is in fact God's calling and when you go on listening tours, they have to be directed. They have to be, they have to be with an open heart and mind. They have to be in a sense of reality. I have all these different checklists on like before you dive into a listening tour, you have to have these things checked off. And when I left the Honor Foundation as CEO, I didn't, I didn't have to leave. I, the hardest thing anything, anyone can do is give away something you love. Um, but that's a challenge. And most people don't do that. So I had a perfectly good job um, serving the greatest, you know, military community on the planet. Um, but how am I ever supposed to know if I can increase impact? No matter what I do at the Honor Foundation, there's 65,000 members of the soft community. And about 10,000 of them transition every single year. Wow. So those, are, those numbers are big in that sphere. But how do I <clears throat> go from 65,000 lives impacted to 6.5 million, to 60.5 million, to yeah. 600.5 million. Like, how do you get to that type of scale? Well, entrepreneurship is something that led to the creation of the Honor Foundation. So I knew I either wanted to be an entrepreneur again, or you, this is the question that a lot of people don't think to ask themselves in transition. They think, what's next? That question, mm-hmm. right? And it's too overwhelming to ask yourself that right away. It's too overwhelming. I don't care who you are. How many biblical figures, you know, were sitting there asking themselves that question <laughs> when in fact it's, it's kind of like, you know, you should ask yourself who's doing something that inspires you. That's mm-hmm. a different question. I love that. Going from what's next to who's inspiring and who's inspiring you. A who has a, something you can trace, something you can look at, a background. Um, and it kind of led me through this path of, well, who inspires me? Inspires me? Founders, people who are building great big things. Yeah. Who inspires me? Well, a lot of VCs I have come to know uh, who very very certain VCs inspired me, one of which is one of the strongest men of God I've ever met in my life. Um, and that's rare. And someone who talks about it and is open about it and, you know, incorporates it into his life. And he's a, you know, he's a very successful VC who was there kind of at the beginning of everything. Like to be first check into Google is kind of rare. There weren't that many oh, wow. people who were first checks into Google. Yeah. So to have that man inspire me, you look at founders, you look at VCs, then of course every great arena of uh, support usually has a central figure. So everyone he introduced me to were also great people. Mm. 
right? So who you start with matters. Yes. And so this man mattered to me and who he introduced me to. Um, and then the entrepreneurs that I chose were all people that I had asked, you know, for a favor and said, can you introduce me to this founder? I want to interview them. Well, at the end of that full year, I come out of that listening to her March, 2020, uh, in my own transition, listening to her from doing something that I loved deeply, um, into, wait a minute, I think I want to become a, a VC, which doesn't make much sense. I have no background in finance. Yeah. I have no formal training in investing. I had invested in anything else other than, you know, nothing, nothing even in and my own self. most people go the other direction. They, they finish with non- nonprofit, right? And Joe started. Yeah, there. okay. I have, to, I, have, I have been told that, Joe, you seem to do life backwards. <laughs> and I always yeah. laugh at that because it's actually not true. I, I, I actually did it, you know, meaning I learned how to launch my professional life with purpose first from the start. Yeah. Right. It's, and, and when people who think of it as a nonprofit going to a for-profit, they're, they're thinking of it wrong. Yep. You need to think of it in the work that you are achieving. Hmm. So like, what's yes. the difference of me standing in front of 40 fellows? That's what we call the operators when they go through the program fellows. Mm-hmm. What's the difference of me standing in front of 40 fellows and giving them all my effort, energy, enthusiasm, excitement, uh, network and it's all directed to support them. What's the difference of going to do that for a living to dedicating all my effort, energy, the enthusiasm, excitement and my network towards 40 founders, right? No different. The work's the same. And it was listening to one of the greatest VCs in the history of Silicon Valley, listening to the way that he dealt with his day. You know, we all need that person in our lives that was gifted to us, by the way, from God to sit there and be open to listening to the whisper that, wait a minute, I can do what he does. Yeah. Now, what put me in the position to be in the room with one of the top returning most, you know, Forbes Midas touch list investors to listen to them in that moment, have multiple conversations throughout their day. And then for me to go, I can, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Like if that's what the top yeah. Dog does all day, every day in VC. I can do that. Mm. But what I didn't have as a team, and this goes back to the Honor Foundation. The Honor Foundation was nothing more than me in four walls. The moment I brought in one person, it was up and to the right. right. It was up and to the right who had, who had opposite strengths of me, but was driven by the same sense of purpose and mission that I was. Mm. Now we're, we're making moves. It was the same thing here. I found two partners who at core, we, we share very, very similar values about about the space of venture capital, but they had different altering skill sets than I did. And you have to kind of complete this wheel, just like a SEAL team. Every SEAL team has different jobs. Mm -hmm. There's the breacher, there's the sniper, there's the comms, there's the so on. Like everyone has a different skill set, but together it makes a whole team. Yeah. Right. So that's what I knew I needed uh, to get this idea going. And what I learned going in throughout that listening tour from, for, for you all listening, listen to this. So I started the listening tour March of 2020 or March of 2019 and I finished it March of 2020. Hmm. That's when I finished listening, interviewing 50 founders and 50 VCs. Yeah. Right. And then doors shut. And I remember talking to Joe at this time, like, what are you doing right now? What are you, (laughs) what are you up to? And he's like, just wait. This is your second listening to us. The second listening was to start the honor. And now I call it a listening to it. Right. Like I officially know. Right. I went back and like, what made the honor foundation a success? Yeah. Well, first you shut up and you listen. Right. You have to deeply empathize with the community you mean to serve. And this is when I started to pull together the concept and thesis of TLC. Meaning, when I would interview the team guys around the country, they would tell me the same thing. They say, Joe, I'm just, when I would ask them, like, what are you looking for? What's next for you, right? Well, uh, and everyone listening, this will also appeal to you. Joe, I'm just looking for an extraordinary team. 
I want to follow a great leader. And I want to be part of a culture that's much bigger than myself. We're all looking for that, mm. right? So teams, leadership, culture. When I would interview the founders, they told me the same thing. Tell me about your successes. Tell me about your failures. Oh, you know, our successes are due to great teams, leaders, and our culture is trending up and to the right. And, and, and the way we talk about it from the very beginning was strong. Well, what about your failures? Well, we had some bad teams early on. We had some toxic leadership and our culture then therefore turned toxic too. It was the same thing. So on the entrepreneur side, TLC kept coming up. On the investment side, it was the same thing as well. Tell me, Mr. and Mrs. VC, I picked 50 hard-charging, hard-hitting VCs to sit down in front of and learn from. Uh, and they educated me as, they, as I knew they would. Um, what makes a great investment? Well, we look for great teams. We invest in great leaders. Yeah. And we look for people that are talking about culture a certain way from the earliest stages of the business. Last question I asked all the VCs, is there anyone in Silicon Valley or the world that seems to focus on TLC as a thesis? And they would say, what do you mean, like tender love and care? I'm like, well, kind of, but that's not the way I mean it. Yeah. What I mean is teams, leadership, and culture. Do you know of any fund that believes in this to their core, to the point they've made it their thesis, their filter, their competitive advantage? Help the listeners with what a thesis is real quick if they don't know. So every fund has an investment thesis right? That makes them unique and special. Yeah. Some funds focus on a specific market. Some funds focus winning on a specific niche. Right. We talk about it. Sure. Yeah. A, a winning philosophy of the fund, like talking to investors. This is what makes us special. This is how we're yeah. going to win. Their specialty. Yeah. And during that, you know, fundraise, um, we have a, we have a very boutique fund. It's a small number to go out and raise in, in the greater kind of terms of venture capital. Um, people come out of the gates with $500 million funds, billion dollar funds. Uh, but for someone who came out with a thesis of teams, leadership, and culture, and then built a concrete facilitation and framework around what that means, uh, and I had no background in investing, I had, you know, I had never done anything in the financial sector in the past. So to go out and interview 1,137 people to come up with about 90 LPs, and all math is not, and all money is not created equally, I was more about the person. Because, look, I'm not that smart. I just had to listen to the people that told me, be very wary about who you take on as LPs, your limited partners, right. your investors. I, right? just, I was going to have you clarify yes. LP for those that Yeah, sure. Yeah. LP just means investor in our fund. They're a limited partner in the fund. But they're very important. And I built a 7,000. When I left THF, we had about a 7,000-person network. Created that from scratch, from nothing, from zero. And we did that with a team. And we did it with a very unified vision, mission, and value set. So what that does is it attracts people who believe what you believe. Yeah. That's important. Right. It's the same reason why you can walk into a community of faith and, and you know you feel safe. Yeah. Because you know you're around people who believe what you believe. Right. So that's what I wanted to find were the the people who had built businesses, the entrepreneurs who had believed in teams, leadership, and culture above all else. When I spoke to those folks, we spoke to them. Mm. Right. So it's a very different pitch. Mm. It's a very different pitch. That's good. To have to, to, to align with your audience so well that you're not selling anything. You're saying, join us. That's different. Yeah. Join us is different than buy my thing, widget, gadget, whatchamacallit. Yes. It's something very different. It comes from within. Hmm. And so now we have a, you know, a pool of, uh, of LPs and investors who are also how we scale. They've been great supporters uh, of our entrepreneurs. When, they, when the entrepreneurs ask us questions we know the answer to, we turn to our LPs first. Hmm. So it's a, you know, we have a, we have a, it's, it's how we've been able to scale as quickly as we have and, and, and build a, a fund kind of mechanism that we believe in. And now we're, you know, we're closing our second fund and um, we're going to keep doing the great work that we're doing and, and, and we're going to, you know, recruit more folks and 
I feel very blessed that when you find what you are meant to do, the way shows itself. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. And you also don't feel like you're working a day in your life. Yeah. I want to I want to back up to something you said a few minutes ago that I know when the listeners heard it they wanted to ask you this question. You said when you said that purpose has a particular smell. I said cuz I asked you, mm-hmm. you know, when you started to feel the sense of purpose mm-hmm. and you said that purpose has a particular smell, it has a particular feeling. For some of the people who are still in that position where they can't look back and connect the dots yet, like we talked about with Steve Jobs quote, for those of the, for some of those people who might be still be in the kitchen of purpose and they don't realize what they're smelling, mm-hmm. help people understand from someone like you who's watched so many people identify their purpose, who has such an incredible story of looking back and connecting the dots. Help some of our listeners understand what does it look like when you start to feel purpose? Yeah, well, um, quickly, because there's a whole other episode we could talk about this. Um, How well do you know your stories? Let me tell you what that means. There have been things that happened to you throughout your life that have absolutely course-corrected the trajectory of your life. We're all a bundle of stories walking through our day, and those stories are what shaped us. And when you go back to the zero and 10 years of your life, meaning zero years old to 10 years old, the most formative years, it's when our value systems are actually created during that time. You need to think through those stories. Who did you love? How did they love you? How do you define love currently and who attributed to that definition of love? When you were losing track of time, what were you doing? Who was around you? You, you need to understand your background so well. And this is why I said it's one of those things that when you see this, you can't unsee it. When you see the lens of vision, mission, values, principles, ethos, when you see it through this lens, you go through your entire life and you figure out that these moments were so significant. And at the time, you didn't realize what you were smelling. And so it's a very intentional exercise. And look, for folks that feel uncomfortable with this, good. Like the only way, what if I told you the only way for you to find I even define happiness and fulfillment differently, but I want to say for the folks that are looking for fulfillment, how willing are you to dig deep back into your past and dig up stories that you feel were emotionally shaping and formative in your life? What if I told you that your levels of fulfillment were in direct proportion to the amount of time you spent digging up those stories? Would you do anything about it? That's the question. And you say, oh, man, this is all like a bunch of, you know, BS. And no, it's not. It's psychology and biology. It's where we come from. It's who's informed uh, ourselves and our opinions. So I would challenge you to dig up stories that were emotionally shaping and put them on a line of demarcation chronologically throughout your life. You're kind of like your life's equator. And you have stories that are above the equator, things that were emotionally shaping, that impacted you tremendously in your life, that you, really, you relive in your mind every single day. You put those above the equator. For those stories that are below the equator, the ones you would never want to relive again, but yet were still emotionally shaping and run through your mind every day, you have to map those out too. And what you're going to find when you map out this equator of your life, that there's going to be a common thread. Um, some people call it the golden thread. Other people call it, um, you know, the, the sinew that holds us together and binds us together. But there's a story in there that will actually give you the answer you're looking for in the present moment. Fulfillment and happiness are directly proportionate to how well you understand your stories and where you come from. 
So that's my challenge to those that are listening. Wow, Joe. Yeah. So incredible. You also jumped right to the end of how we finish all of our podcasts is we finish always with a challenge. Yeah. Mm. So Joe just I gave you uh, the challenge that we're going to close on here. I want to end with uh, one more thing, Joe. Uh, I know that a podcast is in your future. It hasn't launched yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. But is there anything else that you'd like to connect our listeners to before we go? And, and when you do launch the podcast, we'll put it in the show notes here. For sure. So you can, a few things. I would say go to broom.ventures and learn about the founders that we're working with. I think that's important too. Um, again, we're, a, we're a, a venture capital firm and those we represent, we believe in deeply. So take time to... Uh, to understand our portfolio and my partners, Dan and Jeff as well, learn about their backgrounds and where they come from. The, 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 the podcast uh, is going to have some remarkable figures, uh, truly remarkable figures. Uh, you can go to tlcequation.com. Uh, you can find it wherever podcasts are, are found and you can listen to the opening, which is really talking about TLC and what I call the TLC equation, uh, which is a blueprint used throughout history by extraordinary people that went on to make an extraordinary impact on the world and in some cases impacted billions of lives. And they all were using the exact same blueprint that I'm talking about today. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that opportunity and, and please reach out uh, as well if you have ever, if you ever have any questions or thoughts or ideas or feedback around the concepts of teams, leadership, and culture, I'm, I would love to meet with you and talk with you. Well, this has been, uh, this has been an incredible episode yeah. uh, with you, Joe. And I, w- I just want to finish on this because Joe already gave the challenge. If you're just you know, a little taken back, like even uh, Nick and I are listening to Joe, listening to someone who can speak so well, who can tell their story so well, Joe gave us the root of that. He gave us the foundation of where you learn how to speak so well, where you learn how to have something so valuable to say, and that starts with listening. So I'll challenge you to, on top of going out and crafting your stories, learn how to listen better. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Remember to share, like, subscribe. If you think that this would be something that someone would enjoy, please send it to them. We appreciate it all. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Life. You'll find us on there. You can also email at impossiblelifepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want to get in touch and find out about Garrett's personal or business coaching, that's the way to do it. Thank you again for listening. Go out there, think better, and live the impossible. See you again soon. Long before ice baths were a thing, Garrett was doing them in the SEAL teams. Now we do them as part of our daily morning routine to make us better. We are very pleased to have partnered with Freedom Plunge. Freedom Plunge is on a mission to bring cold exposure to everyone. They believe that cold plunges should be affordable, easy to use, and represent the customer themselves. Cold plunges shouldn't cost a fortune, and these ones don't. Garrett and I both use our Freedom Cold Plunge every single day. It's customized. You can put whatever you want on them. For us, we have our Impossible Life logos. And here's the best part. Just for listening to this podcast, you can go to freedomplunge.com, use the discount code IMPOSSIBLE, and save $500 off any Freedom Plunge. These things are half the price of the ones that you see on the internet, plus you're going to save an additional $500 with code IMPOSSIBLE. Go to freedomplunge.com and get yourself one now. You will not regret it.